On this episode of We're No Damn Experts, Monty renews her non-expert stance by telling people that they can find Ted Bundy's house in Great Falls when she actually meant Ted Kaczynski's. Just a minor little hiccup in the details. Best damn podcast, the best damn town. You want to get up, get ready to get down. Welcome to the greatest damn town in Montana, Great Falls. I'm Rebecca Ingham. And I'm Maricela Hazard. And we're no damn experts. <laughs> but today we have an expert on puns. And I, <laughs> I say this lovingly because we all know that we love puns. We're no damn experts, but we are experts at using them. And I went to the this gentleman's establishment, which he is the president of, and he showed me the organization's mascot. And it was a train inside the mouth of a T-Rex, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Oh. And the sign said, Trainosaurus Rex. <laughs> so please welcome to the podcast, Dean Zook, the president of the Montana Museum of Railroad History. How are you doing? I'm glad to be here. This awesome. is going to be fun. Did you come up with the name Trainosaurus Rex? No, that was developed by one of our members who built the skeleton and put the whole thing together. <laughs> so the name Trainosaurus Rex was entirely his idea, and a good one it is. Oh, awesome. I, I love it. So as many of you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, we are redoing our website and our visitor guide. Yeah. <laughs> And I get the pleasure of going to all of these locations throughout town and taking photos that will be then featured in the Visitor Guide website. And I meet with these people through email. And I say, hi, I need to go to your place. <laughs> Ten minutes. That's all it's going to take. I'm going to be in and out. I'm going to get a shot. Someone's going to be enjoying the area. And then I'm going to go. And every time I go there, it does not take ten minutes. And do you want to know Why? <laughs> Because the people there are so passionate about what they do, yeah. and they give me a personalized tour. So, which pretty sweet gig for you? It is really. I get all these amazing opportunities. So I don't know what the railroad museum, the Montana Museum of Railroad History, is going to look like if I call it Mon or railroad Hi uh, museum. You guys know what I mean. So, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. We do it all the time. Okay. <laughs> So I think it's going to be a normal museum like the Russell or Paris Gibson Square Museum of Art. It's not. Not even so, close. So I emailed Dean. He's like, yeah, we're having a member meeting coming up this weekend or this week. Come on down, see the place, get your photos. So it's at Montana Expo Park. It is at the ex exhibition hall there. And no, actually, we're in our own own building. Own building. Okay. Exhibition hall is a building at Montana Expo oh. Park. That's why... Huh, yeah, but I haven't have, toured that yet. <laughs> yeah, we have our own building. Uh, we've been in the entire building since 2004. And oh prior to that, when we were just the Great Falls Model Railroad Club, we had just part of the building in the back. So I didn't know they were a railroad club beforehand, but I soon found out <laughs> when I walked in and I was taken back by the millions, if not billions, of pieces that are um, a part of... 
the display. And it's not a display. It's the model railroad layout of a man named Pete Ellis. It was his private layout. He had it in a building on his ranch in Cascade. Oh, wow. And while he didn't do all of the work himself, he did have a lot of help. It was his entire project. He supervised what he personally didn't do. Okay. Well, I just... Um, I'm, I'm going to ask. Go. What, why? Why Why did this man have such a passion and then instill it in a bunch of other people that are now caretaking for this thing? Well, because he was one of a great many people. We call ourselves model railroaders, among other names. And large numbers of us will build our own layouts, and that's what he did. He just had the opportunity of a lot of space. His family was in the cattle ranching business, as I understand it, so he had plenty of time, plenty of resources, and he had lots of time to uh, express his passion in all that. So wow. I have friends that make their own flies. Okay. They have the microscope, and it, you know the people that will do the model airplanes or even the miniature figurines which you know are abundant in the display and it's this calming thing you know when you pick up a coloring book and you start coloring and then your daughter tries to take the pencil away from you and you're like no 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 i I had it really going (laughs) don't ruin my picture so did you know rebecca that there are that the montana museum of railroad history is one of two places in great falls that disney had a hand in Well, it's not that Disney had a hand in, it's that um, Pete Ellis, living in Cascade, there were some Disney people in Cascade as well, they heard about him, went to see what he was doing, were so impressed that they, you know, made their contacts down in Burbank, and people from Disney came up to learn from Pete Ellis about miniature making, how to make... Holy moly! They did that, and while they were doing this, they also took a bunch of video of Pete Ellis. Holy crap! And then, it gets better. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> You've heard of a movie, Toy Story 2? I, I've heard of it. I don't know. I've been living under like, many <laughs> rocks. <A> rock. <laughs> okay. But there's a character in Toy Story 2, Stinky Pete. I... They modeled Stinky Pete after Pete Ellis. Oh. And they didn't tell him about it until afterward. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but they did it, and... Um, That's part of the story. Isn't that awesome? And, you know, we have the great buffalo hunt here in Great Falls where we have the large buffaloes throughout town. We had an entire episode on it. I think we need to add a stop or other places where you can see buffalo because the miniature buffalo at the railroad museum, they're out of silver. Well, a lot of them are, right? Some of them are. Not all of them, but some of them are. Wait. They're made out of silver, or they are silver? They are made made out out of silver. silver. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, beats me, but they did it. Um, And yeah, there's one spot on the Pete Ellis layout where there is a herd of buffalo. And another spot, it's an area that was finished by uh, club members after we got the layout. Uh, It's a buffalo jump. Oh, so a little bit of homage to the first people's buffalo jump in the area. Yeah. So how often do you change up the layout, or is it just growing, or does it... It's the kind of thing it sort of grows, or we'll change something, modify something, but for the most part, we get something in, we get it working, we get it set up, we like it, you know, we don't touch it, because now, you know, we don't want to break anything, we want it to stay the way it is, so... Um, but from time to time, we may add something, modify it, and so forth, so... 
What was the transition like going from just a railroad model railroad club to a museum in itself? Well, kind of what the motivation for that was, in fact, uh, with Pete Ellis, that uh, he'd, you know, had been a longtime modeler. He was in the model railroad club for a while himself. But then, sadly, in 2003, he passed away. And those of us that knew him or at least had met him and seen his layout said, you know, we need to save this. We can't just let it go away. And the family donated the layout to us. In 2005, we were able to get it up into the museum building. And that was a project in itself. And we had, of course, secured permission from the fairgrounds to take over the rest of the building. Because the building originally was the hobby and craft building. Okay. And then back in the 60s, when the Model Railroad Club started, we had part of the space in the back of the building. There was a more gamers club and a radio controlled radio controlled airplane club and a board, you know some radio. That's it, amateur radio. Mm-hmm. As okay. those clubs left, the model railroad club took over the space till we had the model and they built the layout we have in there now as the model railroad club layout. They started building that in 1975, and the model railroad club had been there for many many years. Our agreement with the fair had always been that they will let us be there year-round as long as we operate the layout as a free exhibit for fairgoers during the fair. Oh. And that's been great. We've Pretty been going for gang. years. A very popular exhibit, as it turns out. And then when, like I say, Pete Ellis passed away and we wanted to try to save the layout, the idea was, well, let's expand. Let's become a museum. Let's preserve Pete Ellis's layout along with a lot of the other artifacts and information, history of railroads in Montana. And that's what we did. And so now you walk in and you're right. The first thing you will see is the Pete Ellis layout. But if you check around, I mean, we've got a lot of the artifacts and history of the railroad. We have also inside the museum a steam locomotive that used to run at the smelter across the river when there's a smelter operation. We have a Burlington Northern caboose outside the museum that is open. I've been been in that. Yeah. So (laughs) that's it. We've got a great deal. And we maintain the agreement with the fair that... We are a free exhibit for the fairgoers when the fair is in, which we continue to do, and it's been a win-win, a, a great thing for both of us, for both organizations. So as you guys conquered this this building, <laughs> yes. took it over from other clubs, what kind of mafia or mob mentality did you right. use with them? Because in my head, I'm like <laughs> arm twisting. Pretty and much like you guys are gangsters back in the day. Leg kicking. <laughs> Not really. No. no okay, come on. <laughs> Dean, you could have leaned into it and gone with our lies. Well, well I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, we coveted the space. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, we don't want to be making any enemies. <laughs> so, when you're that big, it yeah. doesn't, you're going to get a few well, enemies along the way. Well, How did you get the caboose in the steam engine? Carefully. It, did well, you? Okay, the caboose, it was built in 1980 by, for the Burlington Northern Railroad. It was one of the last cabooses that they had before they started eliminating them from the okay. railroad. And it was sitting in a scrapyard. And the scrapyard people knew we had the museum there, and they called and asked, would you like to have the caboose? And, you know, it's like, well, gee, do fish swim, do birds, you know, et cetera. <laughs> so they not only question. donated the caboose, but a trucking company donated the time and the flatbed truck, and a crane service donated their services as well to pick up the caboose from a nearby railroad track, put it on the flatbed, hauled it over to the museum. The railroad donated the time, the materials, and the people to build the track the caboose is sitting on. Holy crap. So they put the track there, they put the caboose on it, 
and bingo, we have a big exhibit at the railroad museum. (laughs) That's really impressive that that many people in the community came together for such an amazing experience because it's not recreated. You walk in and you can see a caboose, an actual. Yeah. And once again, it's kind of the same kind of story with the uh, steam locomotive. It's a what's called a tank engine because the over the boiler is this big curved water tank because a steam engine uses a lot of water. Mm-hmm. So they carry their own water, you know, and whatnot. And it's called, it's, a, it's called a tank engine because it's got this water tank on it. But that also was built in 1924. It was used at the, when there was a smelter operation, mm-hmm. it was used in the captive railroad they had on the plant because they're talking in the days long before forklifts. Mm. And so when you're moving a lot of heavy weight around a big facility, Back then, you used a railroad. And if you look at it closely, we can show you that the, well, the caboose, the track the caboose is sitting on is considered standard gauge, four feet, eight and a half inches between the rails. The steam locomotive is sitting on track. It's 30 inches between the rails. That's considered narrow gauge mm-hmm. when it's less than the, f- mm-hmm. and that's what they had for moving all the copper ingots and everything else they needed to move around the plant. And then it would move huh. it to a sp- specific track next to an actual railroad track, pretty sure it was the Great Northern Railroad back then, so that all the supplies and stuff that had to come in on the railroad would be transferred to the captive railroad on the plant, and all the product would be transferred from the captive railroad to the Great Northern for shipment out. Wow. See, I didn't even know all this when I visited the museum because I was just overwhelmed with the display right. and finding the all the little Easter eggs. And obviously in my head... I'm thinking, wow, I want to take my daughter to this. And as I told you, she's three years old, but they have this glass up and there's signs. They're like, please don't, don't touch, touch the glass. Don't, don't lean touch. on the glass. You're going to break the glass. It takes hours for us to clean the glass. And I'm like, well, how the heck is she going to do this? Do I put mittens on her? Like, do because. Yeah. Or go in the wintertime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's an area where there are dinosaurs. There's area where there's a shark in the pool, and it's also um, in the back area for the Great Falls area display is Ted Bundy's house. Among other things. And a UFO. UFO, I can see the connection. Is there a connection to Ted Bundy to this area, or was that just for fun? Well, the UFO is just for fun, and Ted Bundy... His cabin is just for fun. I mean, they're just things they put on the left. Okay. It's, so. it, I think it's kind of cool. I, I mean, think it's really cool. I mean, the fact that, you know, we have told the story of the Mariani incident and the aliens that supposedly were in the area or are in the area. So I can see some of those things creeping into <laughs> a, um, a layout because... Well, yeah. and also part of the reason is... You know, we want something people can see to enjoy. And right. I mean, all of us, we love showing off our models. And, I mean, you got some of these locomotives we have are well, just amazing pieces of work, really. Mm-hmm. Um, they do just about everything except sit up and beg. They whistle, bell. They make the chuffing sound. I mean, that's all there, a lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And still, it gives something we can show people that we aren't always pointing to the trains. We're saying, here, look at this. You see this. You see this. And it, that's part of why it's such a popular display, because there's so much to see. So much dimension yeah. in it. How long does the normal guest spend there? Like, when I'm planning my visit at Great Falls, I'm going to go to the Montana State Fair, stop at the museum. How much time should I dedicate? Well, it's hard to say. It's, you know, do you want, like, 
the full tour of both layouts? Do you just want to see some of the exhibits? Well, my follow-up question is everyone as lucky as me. Do they get that same kind of tour? Not absolutely everybody, but <laughs> okay. a lot of people. <laughs> so, I mean, like I was there, I think, two hours. And more like, I think, an hour, 15 minutes, or, I think. Oh, he timed it. Okay. Well. No, I didn't time it. <laughs> get her out of here. Um, absolutely not. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess an hour and 15. But I could have easily stayed a lot longer um, because I didn't get any of the history about the the two actual pieces there, the steam engine or the caboose. And, you know, also depends on the individual. Uh, it has happened from time to time. A family will come in. And there's, you know, usually a boy, not always, but usually a boy, so fascinated that, you know, they don't want to leave. And then, oh. then you just drop your child off <laughs> and you see them when they're 18? No. <laughs> Once in a while, not that long, but it has happened. The kid will stay there and the parents come back two hours, three hours later to pick him up. And as long as he's not, you know, actually trying to get his hands on things or breaking anything, there's not a problem. Okay. Uh, but, you know, once in a while, they don't want to leave and they have to drag him out. You know, making a lot of noise, and we all begin to say, "Well, I was that way when I was his age. We understand." So, yeah. So, so, Dean, did you ever work for the railroad? Nope, never did. Strictly a modeler, a wannabe, what have you. You know, it's just a <laughs> he's a poser. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just cool because I think sometimes, even if you were if you were in the industry, you might not have as much passion for it because you were around it. You know. From eight to five yeah. or whatever the hours are to really have to engage in it. Yeah. But then when you get the opportunity to kind of witness it through a fun perspective, then it's easier. And uh, there are occasionally, uh, we let's see, we have, do have a couple of members, one of which was currently working for the railroad, one who recently retired from the railroad. Now, both of them were working on their track repair gangs, track repair crews. We don't have anybody that I'm aware of. It was actually a railroad crew member actually riding, driving the train or being a conductor or what have you. Mm. Uh, but from time to time, there are a lot of people like that. Yes, they work for the railroad. And when they're doing at home, they're modeling. I mean, huh. they are that and passionate about... And these people about, are engineers, right? Some of them, yes. Yeah, they're talking about trying to switch from DC to DCC because <laughs> DC... lost me. <laughs> ...is where all the trains operate at the same time. Well, well, what's going on, we, when we say DC, that means direct current. Uh -huh. So like your ordinary, typical electric train, you put ordinary direct current to the track, and that runs the locomotive. Okay. And that's that. DCC, it stands for Digital Command and Control. Ooh. And what it is, it's a very high-tech, uh, very sophisticated system that will broadcast actually what's um, actually AC, alternating current, to the track but they broadcast it at different frequencies. And each locomotive will have in it a decoder chip that will pick up only one frequency. Oh. And that's something you have to program the locomotive to do, but it can be, there's a wide range there. So now a locomotive will pick up only that one frequency of alternating current. Um, yeah, rectify it to DC current so it'll turn the motor so the train will run. But then you also have all this current in there. This is where all the sound comes from for the whistle, the bell, the chuff sound if it's a steam locomotive, or the chugging or the humming sound if it's a diesel locomotive, or even just like the electric hum if it's an electric locomotive. See how cool this is? Trains aren't my thing, but I do <laughs> like people that are so 
Attention. Detail-oriented because on the surface, it looks like a pretty display where they have this 16-foot-long model of Square Butte, which I heard is unheard of, which, like we were saying before, is kind of like Cake Wars when they make something out of something that isn't that. Right. (laughs) But they're artists that make this. These men think they're modelers, but to me, it's art. And then you find out the engineering side of it. It's like, oh, no, it's not just pretty. It's also <laughs> there's very... There's some science to it. There's some scientific challenges, and here's how we fix it to make it even look cooler. Because you're oh thinking, gosh. oh, this train is just moving all at the same speeds, but then you get this upgraded control, and now they can be forward, backward, different speeds, and you can change things. And a lot of that, especially with the digital command and control, is you can run... More than one train on the same track. And this has its interesting characteristics. And it now means you do have to be really careful with your uh, traffic control because it's now possible to have a head-on collision. And so they they have a little <laughs> area where they're like members only. And I'm like, well, why is that? And then I hear, oh, because you can crash something that someone spent 120 hours <laughs> to build. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. But if it did happen, then you could have... Get it on film. Yeah. Emergency response team <laughs> show up. Little fire. Poof. <laughs> well, we do try to avoid that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, like the only fire we have on the Model Railroad Club layout is a forest fire. Okay. Ooh. And the... Uh, That's a little too real today. Yeah. <laughs> the... Uh, um, like I say, the bombers are out there dropping the fire department, really trying to put it out. Yeah, so. And we have the fire department, the fire trucks are on their way up there as well. So. Mm. It looks really cool. Now, it may seem like this is family-friendly. It is family-friendly. <laughs> it may seem like it. <laughs> but there are some Easter eggs in there that are not exactly PG. Hmm. A few. A few. We try to keep them very few and relatively innocuous. Okay. Um And let's let everybody find out. Let them come to the Yeah, the you're going to have out. to go to the... History or the Railroad History Museum and find these things yourself. But then you can also ask, hey, Dean, I heard there was some non-PG Easter eggs. Oh, wait, I'm going to preface this. There are two Deans. Oh. We have... have, Well, then you got a good chance of getting the name right. We have Dean Zook here, who I invited. And the other Dean that gave me the the majority of my tour, notice notice how he was not asked because (laughs) I wanted to keep this... Plus, plus than that. But he'll let two you hours. know. He'll let you know all the Easter eggs. Yeah. Perfect. In oh, fact, cool. um, that other dean probably knows more about all of this than I do. Well, he's the one who told me about the silver bison and how they're one hundred fifty dollars each, and they had to do the casting for them. Very informative. But we're going to keep this PG. (laughs) So it's fun for everyone. You know, you can snicker when you notice those little remarks, just like when you're watching kids' movies and, you know, the kids don't pick up on all the jokes. So (laughs) it was a great time there. So how often is the museum open? I know we talked about the agreement with the State Fair. Well, uh, we try to have the museum, you know, we were open, open and normally on Saturdays, like about noon to four or so. Okay. And we will probably be doing that after the fair is over because we're getting close to the fair, so we're getting ready for it. But we do try to have regular hours like that. We are part of the museum consortium here in in Great Falls. And one of the requirements is you have some kind of open hours. And our normal meeting nights are on Thursday evenings, 7 to 9. And, you know, we never turn away visitors if somebody comes in. Mm -hmm. But we try to have mostly the open hours, you know, during Saturdays and whatnot. 
and maybe we'll expand that in the future or maybe not we don't know we're just still working in that area so hmm. what's your favorite part about the display oh gosh that's hard to say <laughs> um well maybe being a little bit self-centered about this there is one thing there is a display it's or a piece on display it's my most Award-winning piece of modeling work I've ever done. I think we forgot to show it to you. Yeah, it was, I, you didn't. People get awarded, obviously. <laughs> well, let him let him talk about this. <laughs> there is a national organization. We are the National Model Railroad Association, and like any national association, we have conventions, hmm. annual conventions for the whole country, regional conventions, local area meets, and everything. And they are continually having modeling contests at these meetings of one kind or another. Uh, you know, contests who can build the best passenger car, the best looking freight car, et cetera, et cetera. And my piece of work... And do you have to do it on the site or do you bring it with you? You bring it with you. Okay. So, yeah, in fact, the, the real secret of that kind of thing is you find something you want to build. You take your time building it, getting everything just right. And then when it's all set, then you find out where's the contest to enter it in. Okay. But anyway... This particular model, it started out when I had this uh, thought, what kind of a railroad are you likely to find in Tolkien's Middle Earth? Mm. Now, there's no petroleum for fuel. The coal is way too rare. The woodcutters would never keep up, you know, with the wood demand. So what? In an area like Tolkien's Middle Earth, what do you use to heat a boiler for a steam locomotive? How about a fire-breathing dragon? <gasps> How cool is that? Of course, that's what you would use. And so I found myself, this was years ago, found myself a figure of a dragon that the dragon, instead of being like raised up with his wings spread like he's going to jump on you or something, was kind of laying flat like a wizard, lizard crawling across a rock. Okay. So then I, I got a hold of a kit just right, so I built a car with the, with the dragon sitting on the car with his nose sticking out straight, built a locomotive such that the no dragon has his nose in the firebox. Oh. So he's breathing the fire in. And then back in the back, there's a big water tank. There's water for the steam locomotive, which the dragon works a pump handle with his tail to keep the boiler stoked with water. Holy cow. You're an engineer. I built the thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that is at the... That's on display at the railroad museum, along with a painting that one of the other made illustrating this example there it is it's a dragon sitting with his nose in a firebox of steam locomotive breathing flame into it how oh, cool that is pretty creative <laughs> and very artistic i i love it <laughs> no dean i know you are the president for the railroad museum but you are also a musician for the great falls municipal band so well, that is correct you're like just full of art <laughs> yeah so i know there's summer concerts where you play at gibson park in the evenings on wednesdays that's correct so tell us more about that because i know that you know we could probably it's stop still and see i it. think a pretty unique thing for great falls to continue to have a municipal band that yeah, in plays. fact uh, this season it's our 128th season holy moly that the origin of <laughs> what's now the great falls municipal band the origin origin was the black eagle band that okay. was formed by the oh. uh i'm pretty sure it was by the smelter company okay and that just has continued to this day and we are, like I say, we had to modify our concert programs last year because of COVID-19. We had only small groups of musicians, mm -hmm. so we could spread out, you know, to maintain distancing. But we are going back to regular full band concerts Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock, at the Gibson Park Bandshell. 
and uh, we're still doing it, and we're going to continue doing it. So, so you listeners may recall when we visited with Hillary Rose Shepherd with the Great Falls Symphony, and Maddie and I said, <laughs> we'll come and try out for the symphony. Please know that the municipal band is not the rejects from the symphony. Definitely not. Because I still couldn't make it to the municipal band. She was first chair flute, <laughs> and yes. I was first chair trumpet. Oh, my goodness. We still wouldn't make it on. No. <laughs> no. No, we don't sound nearly good enough because the municipal band sounds amazing. Yeah, I heard you guys in the parade on 4th of July. Were yeah. you in it? Yes, I was. Okay, because you didn't hear me screaming your name. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the, um, well, where you two would want to start, there is a Great Falls community band. Oh. That's Come One, Come All. And when... More our style. <laughs> when we'll be, I would think we'll be starting up in the fall. We weren't able to do anything all last year. But we start up, um, be happy to come in, and it's a place to start. Okay. And, you know... You didn't quite make the municipal band yet, but come play at the community band for a couple of years. You get My better, years. get things back, maybe even take a few lessons, and then try out again. <laughs> and speaking of the symphony, uh, yes, I'm on the list for the symphony as well. <gasps> what? What? So you're good, Dean. No, I'm lucky. Okay. I'm very lucky. Because <laughs> oh, we did have Hillary on, and yeah. she's she explained the whole process to yeah. bluntly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in my case, what how I got how lucky I got was that when I uh, we came to Great Falls in 1996. In 1997, I started taking lessons from the then principal bassoon of the Great Falls Symphony. Oh. Now I'd been playing bassoon prior to that for like more than 30 years. Never had any lessons. Was doing everything on the basis of well, this seems to work. <laughs> well, it's a good approach. So, so I start taking lessons and. Uh, you know, begin to unlearn some bad habits and learn some of the right things. And in the middle of that process, the symphony, as an organization, buys a contrabassoon, which is a huge, you know, heavy instrument and everything, but just about every bassoon player learns how to play contrabassoon. So I start learning to play contrabassoon. Less than a year after that, um, when the uh, Great Falls Symphony premiered uh, the Journals of Lewis and Clark, a thing oh. that was written for the symphony for the 40th anniversary in 1999. I played in the symphony on the contrabassoon. That was my first symphony first concert with the Great Falls Symphony as a contrabassoonist. I am still on their list as the contrabassoonist for the Great Falls Symphony. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love it. I, what yeah. an episode this has been. I'm just saying. <laughs> what other parts of Great Falls are you involved in that we're not aware of? Right. Do you have a that, mural up somewhere? No, that's it. That's it. Um, oh. I'm pretty much, let's say I'm retired now. I'm a oh, retired sure. insurance company safety consultant, and I'm still doing all the things I like to do. Okay. The Railroad Museum and all the music. I just don't have to work for a living anymore. That's pretty sweet. I'm and that's about it. I'm not looking for anything, any more worlds to conquer. I'm really not. I really do. I think I want the trifecta, though, Dean. <laughs> We've got this mural festival that's part of Arts Fest that you could really, you know, put your mark on a mural. And I think that would make me happy. They have a community mural. <laughs> Anybody can paint it. Yeah. Let's go, Dean. Let's do it. You, you can, can paint it. You can, <laughs> you can paint a train. Or you can... Or can do a mural version of the painting that your other member did of oh, the journal. Oh, you would not want that. No. That, 
my skill set does not include that kind of thing. I'm sorry. Just, uh, <laughs> well, oh maybe goodness. there'll be lessons in the future, and you'll be back on in two years from now, and you'll be like, I'm a muralist. <laughs> So if you are here in Great Falls visiting during the Montana State Fair, which is July 27th until August 8th. <laughs> it sounds really good to me. Well, I know the rodeo is the 4th through the 7th, so we'll fix it in the show notes if I'm wrong. You can stop at the Montana Museum of Railroad History. You're going to walk up. You'll see the caboose on the left side of the building. But when you open the doors... Just remember that you're going to be overwhelmed. It's amazing. And the first day we will actually be open for the fair will be July 30. July 30th. And we'll run July 30 through August 7. Okay, July 30, August 7. Come on down. Check it out. See what kind of Easter eggs you can find. We are going to be doing some Great Falls trivia segments on our Facebook oh, yeah. this month into next, including the Railroad Museum. I'm going to ask some questions where you can find things in Great Falls. The answer is going to be the museum. So, listeners, if you're listening now... Start following us on Facebook now so that you can be a part of the trivia. This sounds like a super fun thing. And we never told anyone else what the other uh, establishment is in Great Falls that Disney had a hand in, which which we covered in Episode 5. Yep. And that'll probably be part of trivia. Um, Or are you going to share it here? We're going to share it here. I'm not going to make anyone go back to that audio. <laughs> that was pretty bad audio. Disney actually donated some of the de- uh, decorations at the Sip and Dip Lounge, too. Sandy wrote them and said, hey, heard the your... Sea- wo- the seaweed there is a lot better than what Sandy could create. So Disney brought in some high-end seaweed. Sounds good to me. Yeah. So pretty cool, you know, notoriety of... <laughs> We got some interaction from Disney, and Stinky Pete is is from Cascade area. Just That's cool. Stone throw from here. How long have you been with the municipal band, Dean? Since '96. I played for the first time in 1997. Okay. So yeah, it's what I guess makes this will be my 24th year with them. So. Do you know how many people are in the band? Uh, I think it's about oh 50 to 60. I think. Because I think Marsha Bundy still plays. In yes, the, she does. Oh, I like Marsha Bundy. Yes, she does. So you, wow. <laughs> if you guys don't know where Gibson Park is, you can also check out our Facebook and see where all the geese are. That's the same park yep, area. Same park. Vineyard Grove Jones's cabin. Yep, and Rebecca's not an expert on that cabin, just because she took a pretty picture nope. of it. Um, I read the interpretive signage like everybody else can. <laughs> if you have any questions or want to see more information about the Montana Museum Railroad, Montana... Museum, Museum of, of Railroad, Railroad History. History. There we go. <laughs> we have a lot of photos on our show notes page, which is at werenodamexperts.com, and you can get a glimpse of the detail-oriented displays and cool things to yeah. find there. If you have any questions, you can give us a call at 406-761-4436, or just send me an email at information at visitgreatfalls.org. The one podcast where you can actually call the hosts and visit with them anytime you want. Dean, you guys were also open for the BMW Motorcycle Owners Association Rally. Did you get a lot of bikers in there? Well, we did, and it worked out very well. Um, A lot of people in through there. Um, They were all nice guests. They had a great time. Um, I mean, you... They weren't the kind of people you think of as normally as bikers. I mean, (laughs) no. a BMW motorcycle is a very different one from a Harley, but it's... uh, that was great. Worked out great for us. In fact, um, in fact, there's a 
project, they're upgrading the wiring on the Pete Ellis layout. And the BMW people were so generous in their donations, it has completely funded that project. So. Oh, awesome. <laughs> that is fun to hear. Uh, you also consulted with me. We had a few guests that were coming in for the BMW rally, and they said, we want some railroad routes. And I'm yeah. like... Oh, you've called someone who's not a damn expert. <laughs> Let me connect you with someone who could be. <laughs> so Dean stepped up to the plate then, too. And has just been helpful in getting us all the information we need. Because as not damn experts in our community, we are very well connected. So if there's something we don't know, we'll find someone who does know. Exactly. Dean being one of those men. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Dean, and spending some time with us, sharing all of the knowledge you have about our community, which was really cool. I yeah. had more shocking moments during this episode <laughs> than any time else. Yeah, I love that Rebecca's like, what? <laughs> Hell, it's been a lot of fun. It really has. Yeah, that's awesome. So you've gotten all the information. We're no damn experts.com. It's where you can get all of our episodes. We're brilliant all the time. So every episode you listen to is just going to be amazing. But honestly, probably not as shocking as this one for me as a host. So um, thank you for listening. We love that you're paying attention to everything that we do with Great Falls, Montana. And we can't wait to see you soon in our community. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. We're No Damn Experts is the recorded claims from Great Falls, Montana, covering what you need to know about this amazing damn town. Damn, that felt good. On the next episode of We're No Damn Experts, you get to listen to an impromptu episode that we have with Joel Corda. We're No Damn Experts is produced by Great Falls Montana Tourism with original music by the best damn musician, Joel Corda.